Hey everyone, welcome to episode 32 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Jeannie Wu and Andrew Brown, who has been rather excited over Hyrule Warriors. Insert exploding noise here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we've got a bit of a packed show because we missed last week, sorry about that. Uh, So let's just get straight into it with updates from the previous episode. Okay, so Andrew, I believe you wanted to talk to us about Pinball FX3 and the Skyrim table. Yeah, a few episodes back I said that Bethesda had licensed to the Pinball FX people a couple of their properties to make tables, and I wanted to pick it up because I'm a huge Skyrim fan. And I found the table pretty disappointing, actually. It's got some cool mechanics, as I described the last time that I talked about it, where it actually is a adaptation of the entire Skyrim game. You make a character, you develop a character, you do fight dragons, you go through the entire core quest line, you join factions. It's a really interesting concept. The problem is it's just not a very good pinball table. Everything is kind of arranged very close to the flippers, and it's all just kind of in a very boring half circle above the flippers, and it's really easy to sink your ball without trying to, and the entire table, I don't understand this design decision at all, is slanted to the right. So your ball and your trajectory is always dragging to the right, and it it was just a miserable table. I was happy when it was over, not least because of all the bugs that were in it as far as its progression. There are upgrades that you can get in Pinball FX3 to increase your scores or to get enhanced table bonuses. Uh, One of them is to get your uh, ball save times increased by scoring ball saves. And for whatever reason on this table, you didn't get that bonus for getting ball saves, you got it for activating multi-ball, which is another bonus entirely. Uh, so it just it wasn't a very well-thought-out table, and it was full of bugs. I was pretty disappointed in it, but there are two other tables in that pack, so maybe it's still worth the money. I'm checking those out as I have time. Maybe the bugs are intentional, because Skyrim's kind of famous for them. That would be delightfully meta. (laughs) I jest. Uh, I believe you've also finally finished up Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Yeah, I wanted to to finish it up before the Donkey Kong DLC comes out, and I just saw a report just in the past few minutes that said we're probably going to have it by the end of June, because Ubisoft is publishing a gold edition of Mario plus Rabbids. Okay, so 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 not May... Nope, not May. <laughs> Publishers know that May. there are months outside of May, apparently. I played the heck out of that game in the week after it came out. I got all the way to the first boss in, wor- in the final world, and then I just stopped playing. And I have no explanation for why. I think it's a great game. I think it's a lot of fun. It's got very cool strategy mechanics where um, it's kind of like XCOM, I think, is the easiest way to explain it to somebody who doesn't have a video in front of them that you can show them. But it's got much more focus on melee attacks and on jumping on enemies' heads, because it is still a Mario game, and it's also a Rabbids game. And that is uh, how Rabbids attack people, is they swarm them, and they just kind of ran into them if you ever played any of the the Rayman's games. Uh, So I thought those aspects of those two different game styles were actually integrated very well into this strategy game. And I finally sat down and just forced myself to play through that last bit of it. I don't know why I'm saying I had to force myself to do it, because I did really like this game, but I just, I did. I had to force myself to finish it, and I I have no explanation for that. 
I get where you're coming from. I find, like, I love turn-based strategy games, but I find them a drain. Yeah, they're exhausting. I have the same problem with XCOM. I've never finished a campaign in XCOM. Wow, never. Well, I've had a lot of game overs, but I've never won. (laughs) And I've had that same uh, thing where I took the break as well and then came back to it a lot later. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, it's sort of it's light enough that it's it doesn't take too long to find your feet in it. Again, I found, uh, and you you're absolutely right about how they they balance the strategy mechanics and the things we know and love about Mario. It's it's a great game. I'm I was one way or the other on the DLC, but I think I'm gonna give it a go. Well, I bought the season pass back when it launched, so I'm definitely playing the DLC. I'm already <laughs> <Yeah>. invested. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I have finished Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze since last week, or since the last episode rather. I just want to double back to a couple of points that me and Andrew discussed in the last episode. Uh, the cart levels, uh, they're all brilliant in this one. <laughs> yes. Really enjoyed them, especially when the camera's p- perspective changes. Yes. Really used to really imaginative effects. The rocket levels, I, I liked a lot less. <laughs> they are... It's pretty much Flappy Bird, and once you've seen one, you've kind of seen it all. Bosses, so they're they're certainly not as hard as they're made out to be. Mm -hmm. So it kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Cuphead, where it's just a lengthy fight, and you have to basically just keep trying until you learn all the patterns and the way to respond to all the attacks. Uh, What I will say is I kind of wish they had checkpoints in, because they are pretty lengthy, yeah. Mm. Uh, now, Ray- Rayman had the lengthy boss battles, but it also checkpointed after each phase. This doesn't have that. You die in the last phase, you have to start it over again. It can get a little frustrating. But otherwise, not as hard as people have made out, I don't think. And just like the level design in general is awesome. And yeah, right up there with Rayman Legends, as we said before. I don't think it's as good as Rayman Legends or even Mario, but it's a good time regardless. A good solid, like, B-tier Nintendo platformer. Um, although I did realise while playing that it's because of the original Donkey Kong Country that whenever I start a platform game, I always run left before trying to go right, just in case there's a secret. Wait, you do that? <laughs> yep. yep. I never do that. I just chuck on right through, assuming that the game knows what's best for me. <laughs> <laughs> How many things have I missed out on? Oh my god. Yeah, lots of things, Ginny. No! <laughs> also worth mentioning... Uh, I believe in your separately recorded part on this, you said you'd never played Donkey Kong Country before. Yeah, never. For shame. It would be remiss of me to let the chance pass to give you grief for missing out on popular culture for a change, so ha! Okay, well, that is fair enough. Um, <laughs> and I completely accept that. I, I guess my thoughts on this game, seeing as I've played a little bit more, I haven't quite finished it. It is not as difficult as I was expecting. I think people kind of maybe hyped it up too much in the weeks in the middle. Like, you know, it's a classic platformer. It's going to be so much more difficult than stuff that people play nowadays. Not particularly. But I've been having a hard time with the collectibles. I'm guessing partly because I don't run left when the level first starts. (laughs) And I'm particularly bad at discovering hidden areas. So I'm missing out on lots and lots of those, like the letters and also the puzzle pieces. I'm hopeless at that. But I'm really enjoying the platforming aspect, which doesn't involve collecting stuff. I've actually played a fair bit in funky mode, just because I think it's hilarious. I love having a little surfboard. And also, I have to admit, it makes some of the trickier sections not not that they weren't manageable before, but just entertaining. 
Like, I love Funky Kong. I think he's a great dude. Um, his outfit choice has been amusing to me, but I respect that, you know, you do what you want when you're in the jungle. I don't think Funky has been redesigned since the 90s. Oh, really? That explains a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think he's had the same outfit this whole time. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, Funky Kong, actually, because what I did was... Um, were, when I beat the game, the first thing I did was go back to the first one and then select Funky Kong instead of Donkey Kong mm. and had a play with him. He is, I think he's a great way to manage the, the difficulty because he's basically all of the Donkey Kong friends wrapped mm. up in one. Yeah. So he can float, he can lift upwards, he's got the double jump. He's not as invincible as they, they make out, but he they just give him the extra bonuses. Oh, yeah. uh, and I think he's like the the perfect character to jump back in with to go get those collectibles that you missed. Oh gosh, don't even. <laughs> there must be so many by now. But yeah, no, I will definitely do that. Yeah. And he's very good at turning left. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's very good. I I think I missed some of the levels, so I think some of there's like some diversions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. I didn't f- figure out on a lot of those where those diversions took place, but I've I've dropped the game for now. I I definitely want to go back in and and find those hidden levels. Mm. Yeah, I went back to the first world and I found all the hidden levels in there and I found all the Kong tokens and all the puzzle pieces and I got to the the hidden level at the end, which I think is called a Kong Palace, which is basically like a, a super hard challenge level. And uh, I, I think I'm done. I don't know if I'm ever going to go back and do it <laughs> in the remaining <laughs> worlds. Cool. I think that's all we've got to say about that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move on to the latest Switch news. So we missed the news last week about the Nintendo Switch Online pricing and details. Uh, So it's going to cost $4 US a month, $8 for three months, and $20 for 12 months. Uh, I haven't looked into the pricing in Australia. I think it's a little bit more, but uh, I think it's a lot of people... uh, upset about the whole thing i think it's okay value of course there's a family membership as well where you can have up to eight accounts on the one login uh, i'm not sure entirely how that's going to work yet uh, so the switch online will allow online play uh, across all future online games and unfortunately for those who have been playing the lexus platoon arms and mario kart for free <laughs> you will require the online subscription to play those in the future as part of the package, there are 10 classic NES games, all now with online functionality, which is really cool. Uh, so you've got Soccer, Tennis, Balloon Fight, Ice Climber, Donkey Kong, Dr. Mario, Mario Brothers 1 to 3, The Legend of Zelda, and plus uh, another 10 unannounced games. Uh, the Legend of Zelda one is interesting because obviously not a multiplayer game back in the day, but apparently there's, there's some sort of control sharing, so you can pass the control of the game to someone else, which sounds interesting, but I'm mm. not entirely sure who would use that other than children. <laughs> but there's going to be new games added to the roster regularly. The one that people are most excited for, of course, is the saved cloud backups f- for your uh, Breath of the Wild saves, so you <laughs> don't lose anything. Yeah, uh, it's been a long time coming. I know they've had some backlash for charging for this, but hell, Sony do it. Mm. Yeah. What the hell? They're still going to use the Nintendo Online app, I think, which is a mistake, if you ask me. They've listed it as a feature on the website, but they don't actually say 
that it does anything new. So I don't know if the Nintendo Switch Online app is now being rolled into this $20 a year program or if they're just listing it so that people know, hey, this is still a thing. You know what else is still a thing? Discord. <laughs> uh, and also the special deals and offers for members, which is cool and something we sort of predicted back in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. So the big question is, how is this really going to affect the popularity of existing online games like Mario Kart 8 and Splatoon 2? I think that they're going to launch this with Smash Brothers, and no one's going to care about those games for quite a while anyway. Well, I think there's a large population of people out there who we don't hear about because they're not part of our community. They're not on social media talking about themselves playing video games. It's just families, especially parents and probably their kids, maybe not together necessarily, but they are playing Mario Kart 8 online. And I think these are the people who are going to try to log on one day and ask to be paid $20. And I think when this goes online, what's going to happen is we're going to find a drought of players in some of these games because they're popular, but I don't think they're going to be popular enough for people to want to pay money for them. That's fair. Um, I need to remember that people other than myself exist sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Splatoon 2 especially is going to get hit hard. Oh. Uh, yeah. I don't know about true. that. I mean, there's like a thriving Splatoon 2 esports scene currently, um, especially yeah, in the Oceanic the, region. Those people will definitely pay, but I'm deeming mm. the casual people who really fill out the numbers and the Splatfests and stuff. Oh, yeah. Those people, those people are not going to disappear, but they're going to be re- significantly reduced in number. I'm not saying this is a bad idea. Uh, it's always a good thing when online communities get smaller because they get more manageable, they get more close-knit, and the metagame solidifies much more. But just as the public perception of it I think is going to negatively impact the Switch. Yeah, that's fair enough. I can understand from like a consumerist perspective, but I'm also just actually probably a little bit baffled about the backlash it's gotten because, I mean, PlayStation Plus is not all that different. And I guess I'm just wondering why people seem to hold Nintendo's online service to a different standard. Like, I mean, PlayStation Plus doesn't give you 20 free games a month. Essentially, you're getting these classic NES games technically for free with as part of the service. Mm. And, I mean, it's it seems to be a lot cheaper if you're buying, like, a membership per month and you have the whole family membership option. I'm just not quite sure where all the dissent is coming from. Or, I mean, I know where it's coming from, but why it's coming out, I guess, is, is confusing to me as a consumer who has PS Plus and, has, and is going to buy this Switch online service. This is a pretty good deal. I'm not sure what the problem is. Yeah, I mean, $20, uh, I'm speaking personally here, it might be a lot to ask to some people, but for me... $20 is nothing. I'm going to pay for this yearly and not even think about it. And I'm doing mm. it for the NES games. I don't care so much about the online play, although I think I am going to play Monster Hunter online a lot. Nice, yes. For me, you you, t- you cut out the voice chat, you cut out the online play, you even cut out the save data cloud backup. I'm still going to pay $20 a year just for NES Netflix. Fair enough. Netflix, as I saw it coined on Twitter. Netflix, that's right, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would require me to call it Nez, and I just, I can't do that. <laughs> do it, Andrew. Join us. Nez. No, I'm American. Nez. 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 
Okay, um, just uh, lastly, we don't have it on the notes here, but we all enjoyed it, so I think it's worth mentioning uh, mm-hmm. Cat Quest 2 got announced. Yes! So I think we're all looking forward to that. Definitely. Yeah. So, and with that, let's uh, move on to what we've played over the last couple of weeks. Okay, so first up we have uh, Immortal Redneck, which is one Andrew's been playing, uh, kind of roguelike FPS. Tell us about it, Andrew. Well, the most important thing to know about Immortal Redneck is what kind of FPS it is, and I struggled for a long time with my feelings towards Borderlands 2 because I loved that game, I still love that game, but it was a first-person shooter, and I haven't loved a first-person shooter with the exception of Borderlands 2 in over a decade, and it wasn't until I played Doom 2016, the the reboot slash sequel, whatever it is, that I realized it was because most FPS, especially the games that have followed kind of in the vein of Call of Duty, they're just too slow for me. I don't like having to constantly stop, wait for my health to come back, and pop out, get shot in the face, and have to go and regen my health again. It's just, it, it just bores me. Uh, so... Immortal Redneck, I'm very happy to say, is very much in the vein of Borderlands or Doom. You are just running at things, shooting them as fast as you can. You're trying not to get hit, but you're also not hiding behind walls waiting for your health to recover all the time. It's a very old-style first-person shooter. It handles very well. It's very fast. Jumping is very responsive. I'm very pleased with the way Immortal Redneck runs. Now, what it is, is you play as a redneck who is made immortal because he went on vacation in Egypt and was being an idiot on a go-kart and crashed it. And when he wakes up, he's been, yeah. (laughs) And when he wakes up, he's been mummified (laughs) and he's being urged by these forces he can't understand to go into these three pyramids and defeat the monsters inside of them. And that's where the game's roguelike aspect comes from. Because you go inside a pyramid and you're probably going to die because the enemies aren't too hard, but the bosses are very hard. And he's immortal, so when he dies, he just appears back out in the valley and he has all of his money on him still, so he can use that to buy upgrades. So it's a very roguelike upgrade uh, progression system. And one thing that I really enjoy about it is in like games like Enter the Gungeon or Binding of Isaac... I always feel like I'm accomplishing something because I'm usually unlocking something in a run or I'm progressing towards contributing towards unlocking something in a run. In Immortal Redneck, I can't say that there hasn't been a single run I've made that I have not felt has contributed towards my overall success towards my next run, as opposed to just unlocking some random thing which might or might not help me on my next run. Even though Immortal Redneck is pretty hard and it's got a lot of backtracking through the rather large rooms that you have to go through, I haven't gotten bored with it yet because I still feel like it's respecting my effort that I'm putting into it a lot. I think I'm eventually going to reach the point where buying new upgrades is so expensive that unless I have a really successful run, I'm not going to be able to afford another upgrade. As far as the sense of progression is pretty good, but there's no sense of discovery to it. Like when you're playing Enter the Gungeon, you'll find a new item and you'll pick it up and you kind of have to use it to find out what it does. In Immortal Redneck, you're going to be able to tell just by looking at something what it does. It's like, oh, that's a shotgun. I wonder what that does. (laughs) So (laughs) 
there's something lacking there as far as it goes with the other roguelikes that you might be able to compare it to. But I'm still really enjoying it because it's a really well-made first-person shooter, and it's really respectful of my time. Okay, so just the fact that you made the early comparison to the gameplay of Doom 2016, that excites me because I worship at the altar of Doom 2016. (laughs) (laughs) I'm certainly interested now. Yeah, um, it's just the rogue roguelike thing that kind of puts me off. I'd rather have a, a shooty campaign, but mm. it sounds cool. I, li- I like the sound of that. Uh, Ginny, you've been playing the Australian-made Yonder? Yeah, I have. And it is so pure. Um, way too pure for someone like me. <laughs> but it's so pure. It's just, it's just a blessed game. It is not a game whereby you get into an accident with a minecart and mess with um, some Egyptian deities that you don't understand. Um, it's a lot more low-key than that. You are someone who's been given up for adoption by your family, um, who lived in a foreign land. I assume as you're coming of age, you go and try and visit your home country, your country of birth. And um, on the way there, you're shipwrecked. Dun-dun-dun! And you wash up on the shores of a beautiful new land full of cute, adorable animals, um, great weather, adorable plant life and fairies. And you need to figure out how this is all somehow connected to your birth. All the while supporting yourself on a meager income produced by farming. So if that sounds a bit like Harvest Moon Gone Rogue. It is kind of like Harvest Moon Gone Rogue. It is a game where there is absolutely zero combat. I mean, it, it kind of feels like even hacking trees apart is a little too much for your character. But it is a very, very, very non-violent um, and very pleasant game. If you're someone that needs, I guess, excitement in the form of combat or I guess any sort of plot developments that kind of come out of nowhere and aren't predictable or expected, this is definitely not the game for you. This is definitely a lot more like a modern Harvest Moon simulator. So if you want something incredibly relaxing, then I would highly recommend Yonder. It sort of gives me a feel... Oh, I, I don't want to say it's completely like Harvest Moon because there are some RPG elements to it. You do sort of have to discover your connection to the mysterious and beautiful world around you. And um, you do have to rear adorable um, livestock and milk them and care for them and all that kind of stuff. And you do also help folks, I guess, that live on the island that you've just been shipwrecked on. It's sort of got lots of bits and pieces here from other predictable narratives that you might have seen before, whether they're JRPGs or RPGs. I think once I sort of told you about the shipwreck thing and like the abandoned child, you can figure out where the story's going here, especially (laughs) once there's magic and fairies involved. So this is a game that won't make you think too hard, but it is incredibly lighthearted. I would say it's probably a good example of Baby's first RPG, and it definitely is something that's very kid-friendly, down from the aesthetic to just what people are talking like, you know, so just everything about the game has that kind of feel to it, whereby nothing is lethal, nothing can harm you, and it's definitely a game I would say geared towards younger age group. But if you want some relaxation, you love cute animals, you don't want to think too hard about a game, I just want to come back to a beautiful landscape and a beautiful farm and beautiful friends, then you should pick up Yonder, also Australian-made, so support local developers. <laughs> um, I've heard it described as um, like a Breath of the Wild without combat. Is that accurate? I would say so. Um, it's a lot of exploration to do. There are lots of different kinds of biomes and rolling hills to explore, and fast travel comes pretty late in the game, so you're forced to mostly traveling by foot or with a companion animal. So yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly interested in it. I mm. uh, just haven't got time for it at the moment. Um, Andrew, you've been playing a propaganda game, <laughs> which isn't 
isn't available over here. Oh, it's uh, not. I think it's there. No, I don't think so. I haven't seen it, but oh. it's by uh, the good folks at Peter. Yes, the oh. people for the ethical treatment of animals. Yes. That's the one who just do uh, propaganda in the most terrible ways. <laughs> Are they continuing that trend with Kitten Squad? PETA actually has a history of releasing games. The games released in the past have been browser games. I think the one that is probably most relevant to what we're talking about on the podcast every week is they did one about how Pokemon is uh, an inherently cruel game, which, you know, they had a point, but at the same time, Pokemon are not real, and it's a video game, so... (laughs) But Kitten Squad is released for free on apparently the U.S. eShop. I thought it was released everywhere, although I think PETA is a U.S.-based organization, so it would make sense. It's only here in the U.S. And it's definitely propaganda. You take on the role of a kitten, and you accept quests from magical animals living in a forest to go and rescue animals from places like SeaWorld and from factory farms. My only question about Kitten Squad is, is it good propaganda? Uh, (laughs) Because, like, the very first quest you do is an extremely unsubtle take on the cruelty of what happens to killer whales at SeaWorld, which, you know, this is a argument that's already been settled. The uh, Blackfish movie came out a few years Mm -hmm. ago and got a lot of coverage. The SeaWorld is pretty much on the verge of closing down at this point. I don't think they actually even have killer whales anymore after all the bad press they got from Blackfish. It's kind of preaching to the choir over a settled issue at this point. But another thing that makes it bad propaganda is it's the form of a video game, but the video game is not about the point they're trying to make. It's a twin-stick shooter where you play as a cat and you fight these bizarre, like, killer robots. Oh. And, yeah. when And when you get to the end of a level, you save the animal. Uh, I only did two of the quests. I saved a killer whale and I saved a sheep. And, Aw, cute. Yeah. And it, it's not a bad twin stick shooter but it's not a good one either uh i would say if you want to play a twin stick shooter play tesla versus lovecraft not this thing but this has the benefit of being free so (laughs) i i think there are worse things you could do with your time if you can put up with or just ignore the propaganda they try to shove at you in each quest you know just scroll through it don't read it then you might have an okay time with this as far as a free game goes But, yeah, it's a mediocre first-person shooter that's been co-opted by PETA with (laughs) their issues put front and center on it. It's a pretty forgettable experience. Okay, one of the games I've been playing has been Death Road to Canada. We've discussed it briefly on previous episodes, so this is kind of like uh, the Oregon Trail with zombies, which, you know, there's already been the Oregon Trail... (laughs) <laughs> which is the Oregon Trail with zombies. But that's sort of more of like a, a satire take on, on the original, complete with the original graphics, uh, like very retro gameplay style. Mm. This is this takes the same concept but expands on it. Like the Oregon Trail, a lot of the, the game is passively watching your car or your party running down the road as they try and get to Canada for safety from the zombie apocalypse. Uh, along the way, you'll stop off at 
towns, you will need to look for supplies to keep your car running, to keep your, your party fed. You often get presented with like text choices along the way, like do you want to stop off and check for supplies here, or there's a dead animal in the road, do you want to investigate it, that sort of thing, and then it either rewards you or punishes you for your your curiosity and all these things. Uh, you start off with two characters, so you can either have randoms or you can make your own, so I made myself. And yeah, you, along the way you pick up other people and ev- everything's a finely tuned choice about what's going to get you further on the way to Canada. Like, hey yeah, cool, there might be another person to pick up, another person to help you fight, but if you're low on supplies, they're going to get you killed much quicker. There's a lot more exploration in this, so when you jump into a proper scenario, it puts you into like a little map with indoor locations as well, and you sort of run down from a top-down view, hitting, shooting enemies. For a large part, you can avoid the zombies, but there's certain scenarios where you can't. Those are often fatal, as I'm finding. Now, it's, it's a bit more forgiving than the organ trail. Even if your main character dies, you can still keep on picking up other characters. So I had a situation where uh, I got my character got killed, but um, there was a dog I had who was oh, able to no. carry on ca- carry on the mission for me, uh, and then he picked up someone else. Extremely good dog. Yeah, he was very good. He took my mission and ran with it quite literally. Oh. Even drove a car. What a good boy! <laughs> that sounds irresponsible yeah. but brilliant at the same time. The decisions are really tough. Um, in this game, the they are very comical. There's a lot of pop culture references. This is an example of pop culture references done right. Now, the the key thing is that it is a roguelike, so you will die a lot. Uh, a lot of your party members will die. But along the way, you will earn uh, zombie points so that you can spend on perks, and those are permanent. So then when you create your new party or start again with your old one, you can just apply them the perk, and that gives you the benefits mm. to help you do it. So it's also... Kind of a bit like Dead Rising, I guess. Because that was one of those where even if you died, you Mm. kept all your stats. It's kind of like that. So it's even worth doing like a couple of, you know, reckless runs just to try and get some stat boosts here and there. (laughs) I really like it. I love uh, zombie fiction, as we've discussed before. This isn't quite a masterpiece in (laughs) human relations against the backdrop of zombies, but it's it's funny. It's... uh, it's charming and it's really fun to play, which is the, the most important thing. Mm. Obviously, with it being like the Organ Trail, that sort of ties in with another game I've been playing, which was Banner Saga. Now, I, as soon as I saw the Banner Saga years ago, I knew it would be something I wanted to play. Mm. I love turn-based strategy games. I love Viking and Norse mythology. I sort of started it on PS Plus when it launched but then I, I, I knew that I'd want to play it on a handheld so I wasn't prepared to put the time in there and I was kind of, at the time I was holding out for a Vita version that I don't think that came maybe it has done but as soon as I knew it was coming for Switch I, I was holding out for it to play here it does share a lot of similarities with the, the Oregon Trail mm. so a lot, of, a lot of the time you're watching a side-scrolling enactment of these troops marching left or right depending on which party the story is with at that time and you'll get similar tech scenarios like hey there's a a group of bandits are attacking do you want to run do you want to kill them and there's always some sort of uh, consequence for that you have to watch your supplies 
you know, careful not to add too many people to your party. And then when the story calls for it or when a scenario calls for it, you get put into this like D&D style turn-based combat. Um, I guess most turn-based strategy games like this sort of hark back to D&D, but it's uh, it's very, very similar in this, this way. Yeah, so I had a, a bit of confusion about whether the game had permadeath or not. And so I found out today that it, uh, it doesn't in combat, but outside of combat yeah. the decisions you make can get characters killed permanently mm-hmm. which which was a, a bit jarring but as someone who as soon as someone dies in a strategy game has to reload his last save <laughs> i'm kind of kind of glad as well I, i'm one of those i love the idea of permadeath in strategy games but i hate the reality of it unless it's a character you really really hate yeah yeah that that's happened um so yeah so in this if, if they get killed they just get knocked unconscious and they're fine for the next next battle which is cool one thing that i really have to really praise is the art style it is utterly utterly gorgeous it kind of reminds me of old uh, don blue style animations mm. for those that don't know he was uh, a guy that worked at disney and left and formed his own studio they did uh all do- dogs go to heaven and oh, no. secret of nim that sort of stuff and it's got a very very similar art style to that which i absolutely adore and the way they're animated in combat is is amazing and the music's cool too uh just you know typical sort of viking pads and strings and yeah i really enjoy it i hadn't realized this was made by former bioware devs and you can sort of feel that in the game's dna from the decisions and the 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 chat trees that you go through to to try and get what you want avoid conflict or get into conflict or you know just try and make the best decision for your your traveling party Ginny, i think you've played this on pc before yeah so i played it on pc and never finished it on pc and when i got the chance to play it again on switch i immediately felt a lot more grabbed by it not sure why maybe because i was kind of fumbling around the first time not really knowing what i was doing it's because you're playing it on the Switch. I think so. It's just the Switch is that magic console that <laughs> makes me compels me to finish games. I mean, I finished Lost Sphere by some miracle, so it's got to be the Switch. Um, but it's yeah, it's got to be mean, the Switch. <laughs> a lot of what I like about it, um, I guess I'd have to echo what Andy had had said previously. Was I find the moral decision making particularly poignant? I mean, I I enjoy the turn based combat, and I actually quite like how. Um, it's not, I guess, your your regular sort of like chip away the enemy's health till they die. You've got to sort of balance considerations like whether to attack an enemy's armor points, which makes them take more damage later, or just go straight for the health bar, which affects how much damage they do as well. So it's like a nice balancing act there in the combat, which I really appreciate. And I'm sure that there are some nuances there of the combat that I'm not fully grasping. I'm just sort of going for the whole armor versus health sort of consideration. But there is room for a lot more nuance in the combat for people that want to take to the next level. But for me, where the game really grabs me is, as Andy said, in those decision-making situations. Um, and the fact that it can be often fatal, and you don't realize it immediately. The game does a very good job of putting you in the hot seat, but not in a way that makes you feel all-powerful. Which is usually how Bioware, I guess, used to it and now still does it. You're sort of like the chosen guy, making your way through the world, ordering your party members around. Banner Saga actually flips from one perspective to another. So you might be, like, for example, um, a really strong Viking warrior leading a, uh, leading a traveling party for maybe half an hour or an hour or so of the campaign. 
and then it will jump sort of location wise to somewhere across the continent where you might just be like a dad with your daughter hunting hunting in the woods having to deal with some omnipresent threats and sort of that moving back and forward and making choices based on different groups of people that you may that you may be representing i find that the most interesting dynamic for me and as someone who gets i guess easily bored if I'm, so, if I'm sort of either not in the hot seat or forced to be in the hot seat too much, I enjoy the flip-flopping between perspectives. And what I quite like are the scripted events that occur actually in the world based on your location, your party makeup, and also your past decisions. It's quite nice to see actually stuff that you've done um, in the past kind of bite you in the bum um, later on. And you, at a time that where you may have actually forgotten about what that you had made that person do, you know, X or Y 20 or so days ago. Yeah, and it, it might at the time it seems like a nothing decision. Yeah, exactly. And then it just comes back and bites you big time later on. Yeah, I actually really enjoy that the game doesn't give you much warning about that because it's. I think it's realistic. You know, you're sort of making decisions on the fly in the hot seat as these characters who are often in very dire situations. It makes sense that you might not make the best choice or the best forward thinking choice. So I do really enjoy how the odds seem stacked against you. It's all about kind of just surviving. And I quite like that change of the usual power fantasy that you get in turn-based games. Yeah, you're, um, the characters that you play as, the leaders are just reluctant leaders. They're, mm. they're put in because their they're boss died or they just feel they have this duty to, to get people to safety. Um, and like everyone's having a bad time. So if you're into the type of medieval fantasy where everything's a bit rubbish for everyone yeah. this is certainly something you want to look at i'm really enjoying it i'm i'm sort of glad i i waited for it mm. uh, and and i'm I'm definitely prioritizing this over the the big game we're going to talk about shortly you um, fool it's <laughs> controversial it's so, opinion so on good. this podcast well yeah. no it's not controversial i i have reasons i, f- I finished that other game oh, uh, well, and i haven't go. played this yeah. one before so i'm just prioritizing this one but so just before we move on to that other big game Ginny you checked out Little Nightmares I did and um, I'm not someone that scares easily um, but Little Nightmares is so creepy it is so delightfully creepy Um, it's not scary in um, I guess like a jump scare or outlast two way no one's getting their bits sawed off which is nice thank god Um, (laughs) but um, it's it reminds me of a very sort of Tim Burton-esque aesthetic that's what I see when I and feel when I play this game based on the music and the staging and just I guess how you're framed so for a little bit of background you play as a small humanoid creature wearing a beautiful yellow raincoat and your job is to basically claw yourself out of what looks like a house of horrors you know inhabited by incredibly grotesque giant people who are running around killing children that sets the tone really quite quickly from the start and you'll sort of quickly learn that as someone who is very small in a world full of very big things, think sort of like shrunk down Alice in Wonderland versus the world around her, pretty much everything's fatal to you and getting around is a real pain in the bum. So the game does a very good job of making you feel very helpless from the start and also sort of reinforcing that everything around you is out to get you and so much stronger than you. And that sort of element is pervasive throughout the entire experience. I finished the game in about four hours, so it's not a particularly long game. And that's with me dying to really silly, mm. obvious things. It's not particularly a long game, but it is a very impactful game. I was definitely a little bit creeped out by some stuff in my house afterwards, like a light flickered and I <laughs> screamed a little bit <laughs> because I <laughs> because I just sort of dealt with um, a particular fight or a particular encounter in there 
whereby a bunch of flickering lights and mirrors had terrified my character as well. So it's just playing on childlike fears, I guess, like fear of the dark, fear of things that kind of crawl around in the dark, fear of things under the bed, and I guess fear of adults. And I think it does a very good job of sort of evoking those particular fears for your, I guess, your controlled character and yourself. I note that it is actually a puzzle platformer, and I know people are going to groan when they hear puzzle platformer. The platforming part is a little bit janky, and I have to say that's what stood out to me the most and probably frustrated me the most. Almost in some bits to the point whereby I actually wasn't able to be scared when something was chasing me because I was like, okay, listen, I can't jump up this wall. I can't save myself. I'm just going to die here. It's fine. Um... <laughs> So the controls are not great. I think the sort of combination of pulling things with one trigger, grabbing things with the other, jumping up and kind of moving around with um, alternate A, B and that trigger are a bit unwieldy. So it's kind of like, it doesn't feel like an organic sort of platforming experience. The focus is much more on the puzzling, which is kind of limited to dragging things around, reading notes and tricking these large lumbering giants into ignoring you. There's not a lot of puzzling, not a lot of platforming, but if you're after a creepy little bite-sized game that does the atmospheric stuff incredibly well and plays on what kind of feels like, I guess, a, ch- a childhood ghost story, then yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good small game. It doesn't take you very long. And the Switch has the complete edition, so that means you get actually two goes at the story. You can play once as the kid in the Great Raincoat and once as I guess a human child has been kidnapped. So two parallel stories for the price of one, essentially, um, on other platforms. So if you like Tim Burton, you like stuff that's a little bit creepy, and you're okay with lights flickering in your house and being freaked out by that after you play the game, <laughs> then you should definitely pick it up. <laughs> it's another one I'm interested in, but just don't have the time for. Yeah. Okay, so last up is the one that Andrew's been dying to talk about for a while. <laughs> Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule Warriors. Released originally on the Wii U, so therefore criminally underplayed by the the population. Amen. It's finally here on Switch. Let's talk about it. First thing I wanted to talk about was the control schemes. Uh Uh-huh. When you start the game, you get given the choice between Warrior or Zelda control methods. What did you opt for? Warriors. I went for Zelda controls, actually. Okay, so I went for the Zelda controls, and they were absolutely nothing like Zelda's controls. (laughs) I know, that was very misleading. (laughs) I can't imagine how a game like this could be remotely adapted to even an imitation of Zelda controls. For starters, there are two attack buttons. Yeah, so I was playing the first mission, and I was just like, it just doesn't feel right. And then I switched back to the Warriors controls, and it was perfect, and actually felt more like Zelda controls than the Zelda controls did, (laughs) which was really, really weird. But on the game itself, so it's a a Musou game. Mm. It's basically like an action strategy game, isn't it? Yeah, maybe more action than strategy, depending how you play it, but that's, that's about right, yeah. I yeah. yeah, I think in a broad sense that's a good way to explain. It. I I would describe it even more than a, a strategy game as a time management game. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. Yeah, because uh, like I, I'm sure if you've never played a Musou game, you've probably heard criticisms of them of how 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 easy they are and how boring they are. I think those people are reading it from completely the wrong perspective. You're not supposed to look at, like, the individual battles. It's about the broader scale of what's going on and trying to keep 
so many plates spinning and without them going out of control and you will lose in this game it's not as easy as people say it is it's hard to die it's quite easy to lose yeah so originally on the wii u um i i bought it i didn't have time to play it for ages and then we had a public holiday weekend and i just blasted through it on easy Mm -hmm. loved my time with it and decided that was it i didn't want to go back to it this time i'm playing it through on the harder difficulty and yeah completely agree it's it's hard for your characters to die but it's easy to lose if you're not paying attention to the most pressing matters and it'll often throw like three or four missions at you at a time like one of them will be like the main story mission but you have to make sure you manage your attention across all these things otherwise you really do risk the chance of losing i think sometimes it's it's easy to get lost in the the nitty-gritty of the combat and and lose track of what it is you're actually meant to be doing so sometimes the losses can feel a bit unfair but it's generally because you weren't paying attention Mm. the actual moment-to-moment gameplay is is a joy i just find it a lot of fun just to cut through swaths of enemies Mm. with these super powerful attacks and just watching the bodies bounce around all over the place as you hit them with the sword part of the strategy is in this is you have other members on your team other heroes and you can direct them around the battlefield i completely missed this the first time i played it you did you played it on wii u right (laughs) yeah i did not know that you could direct people you couldn't oh okay so now i feel less stupid (laughs) yeah that was added in legends uh so Uh, yeah okay because uh yeah because you could do that in fire emblem and i thought that was just because it was fire emblem like hey control the battlefield by directing your troops but i didn't realize this was something added in the 3ds version which i've only played a couple of missions of so that explains that (laughs) um and and just that ability sort of helps you balance those plates a little better i think so if you're seeing a a base fall uh that's part of the story mission you can send someone there to sort of curl the tide while you you get your act together or finish what you're doing Mm. it's important to understand though that even though you can direct computer controlled characters to other places on the map they're not actually very good at accomplishing goals by themselves uh, so if you want to be doing two different things in two different places, you need to direct somebody there and then switch to them when they get there and do it yourself. Cause yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good solution. Cause except as a stopgap measure, you know, literally a meat wall sitting in the computer's face, uh, your computer controlled allies aren't good for much in this game, <laughs> but that's not a criticism. That's just actually part of the time management because you are expected to be doing everything in this game yourself. That's just that's part of the Muso formula is you're supposed mm-hmm. to be the biggest, baddest guy on the field who solves everything. Yeah, sending your people there isn't a solution, but it can help stem the tide mm-hmm. of loss. I found it's just bought me enough time to, to sort of get there myself. I am probably just going to play through the legend mode, oh, yeah. which is the, the, the story mode, and then probably drop it. No. Depends what, what time I have left. What about adventure mode? Uh, I am not big on other modes. Adventure mode is one of those modes that I I like the idea of and I really admire, but I probably don't want any part of it. Mm. Okay. In Definitive Edition, they've changed how it works. When you beat the first mission in Legend mode, you unlock everything in Legend mode that you got in Wii U and Legends version of the game. That way you can go straight into Adventure mode. I want you to promise me that you are going to beat the first mission in legend mode then go and actually try adventure mode instead of just dismissing it like this i think we've had this discussion before probably on the fire emblem oh. chat i'm i'm just here for the story 
I hit it and quit it. Okay, the adventure modes have stories, just for starters, and I think you are yep. really, you are missing out. You have no idea. Okay, so I, I will probably give it a, a little look. I, I understand the structure on how it's based around the original Legend of Zelda map. The first one is, yeah, but there's maps for a bunch of the different, different Zelda games. games. Yeah, like Twilight Princess, Wind Waker, etc., etc. Yep. So I no, I mean the the overview, the way you you progress through is you're oh, working through the yeah yeah you're working the, on that the grid. original Legend yeah, of Zelda map. Right, yeah. In the first map, you are, but there are multiple adventure mode maps based on the other Zelda games. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. See, that's interesting. Well, if you had played yeah. it, you would know. Oh, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's just not the sort of game that I want to spend that much time invested in. I love the game. I like playing it, Mm. but I'm not sure I'm that big on the mechanics enough that I want to spend, what was it, 200 hours you said you spent in in this originally? Oh, geez. Uh, In the 3DS version, 300 hours, I think. I mean, let's talk about something I have in my notes here. Let's talk about value metrics. (laughs) Okay, cool. Uh, This is a thing that's argued about on Twitter among the game critics a lot, is how people say that I bought this game for $40 and I only played it for four hours and I beat it. It's not worth anything. I understand the criticism that you shouldn't dismiss a game that costs $40 because you can beat it in four hours. But at the same time, I was a college student once who didn't have a lot of money to spend on video games. So I appreciated Diablo 3 for costing me $60 and I could play it for thousands of hours. I understood the appeal of that. And Hyrule Warriors definitely falls into that. You can spend $60 on this game, and you can play Adventure Mode for hundreds and hundreds of hours. It'll keep you busy. So what are your perspective on that value metric issue? I just have too much to play to commit that much time to it, which is why I avoided the Adventure Mode. Uh, the Legend Mode or- originally was just like the perfect length for me to kill over the public holiday weekend, and then yeah. that was it. I was kind of I kind of had my fill. Yeah, I, I beat it, the Legend Mode yesterday and today it took me about 12 hours yeah it's it's not it's not a long game and it just slotted in nicely between other titles at the time whether i give any proper significant looks to the adventure mode this time is probably just going to be based on when i finish it and what is the next thing i'm going to buy coming up and what else do i have in the backlog which is ever growing because may (laughs) yeah i mean i guess i'm in Andy's position technically because I have lots of stuff to play and review sort of on the backlog as well and just sort of always on rotation but I don't really I've never really I guess cared about the value metric per se I'm one of those people that this might sound a bit pretentious but sometimes I feel like games like Neo Automata are incredibly artful and you know philosophical and you can't really I say put like a $9 price tag on a game that speaks volumes for the human condition so um i'm not really one to be like oh you know 40 bucks so if i play 40 hours it's worth it to me i i think each game is unique and people you know it, the developers spend so much more time and, and money than you know your mere 40 dollars making these things and often don't even break even so i'm understand being a poor college student because that was me not so long ago so I understand obviously saving up and not buying games I guess I couldn't afford at the time but it was not because I thought you know I'm gonna buy this game and get 600 hours worth out of it for 20 bucks that's sort of not been how I view them that being said I do appreciate just how much sheer content and I hate the word content um, but just how much sheer content Hyrule Wars is packed with hashtag content 
Yeah, but I didn't appreciate it the first time around. And I was just bad at video games as a child and just <laughs> I used to know what I was doing. But now that I've grown older and have played many more Musou games, I enjoy the variety of attacks between the characters. And I mean, Final Fantasy, sorry, Fire Emblem Warriors, not Final Fantasy Warriors, I'd love that. Um, Fire Emblem. Oh, give me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that you'll play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Andy's like, yeah, give me 600 hours of Final Fantasy Warriors. <laughs> Fire Emblem Warriors was great for me on a very superficial aesthetic level. I think it was a game that had a lot of fan service elements in it, not just the outfit DLC for certain female characters and male characters. But it's sort of very superficially, in terms of character relationships and dialogue and maps and stuff like that, it was definitely like a Fire Emblem fan service game. But I feel like Hyrule Warriors, just from Legend Mode alone, as per what I used to remember, was just a lot more immersive as an experience. Like all the different narratives that get tied together, you know, you're not just plopped into a world that everyone just happens to be in and you've got to fight your way out of it. There's a lot more cohesive storytelling going on and also a lot more variety between the characters' movesets. Like, even in the beginning, when you get given Link and Impa, who um, has had a bit of a makeover, I think, in my opinion, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Impa, you know, her attacks, I notice they'll be slower, they're weighted heavier than Link's attacks, and also her animations and the leap that she does when her combo ends, things that Link doesn't do. And it's just the distinct styles between characters. It's so much more pronounced. I mean, in Fire Emblem, it was like every second person had an axe or a sword, and if they were, they were a magic user, and all attacks were basically the same. And I just feel like the stable of characters that you're actually able to play with in Hyrule Warriors might not seem like as much as you get when you play Fire Emblem Warriors, but I think it's executed better. So I enjoy that aspect of Hyrule Warriors a lot more. If, if you consider that many of the characters, especially Link, have multiple weapons, there's not just 29 characters in this game, there's more like 60 there's quite a bit just as far as differentiation between the characters than anything Fire Emblem Warriors even approached having, in spite of yeah, the sure. sheer yeah. number of characters that were in it. Like, I enjoyed Fire Emblem Warriors, uh, again, just from a, I'm going to play through this once and probably never again, but I think Hyrule Warriors is a celebration of all things Zelda, yeah. and I think it does that celebration a lot better than Fire Emblem Warriors celebrated Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like on on the value thing, it's like I love that there's all this this extra content there. It's just personally, like I love the game. I absolutely adore the game. It's so much fun. I just don't think I've got the time to put into it. But Switch being portable, who knows? Maybe I'll I'll try it and it'll strike a chord, and I'll I'll just keep chipping away at it here and there, which would be the probably the way I do it. But yeah, at, at this point, I, I'm I'm one way or the other. I'm I'm not sure. I just want to take a moment. I just want to address the people out there who might be on the fence because Muso, as I said earlier, has this reputation out there. Yeah. Now, the first question, what if I don't like Muso? Well, first of all, do you not like Muso or do you just not like the things you've heard about Muso? Because I'm sure that you've heard how simple and boring these games are, which is an assessment that I don't agree with at all. I saw an image on Twitter today of somebody took a screen capture of one of the combos for Link that you can buy, which is pressing the Y button five times. This is a combo that exists in a game. It's also a combo that you almost never use. 
because it's not about knowing the complicated combos like in Devil May Cry or in Bayonetta. It's about knowing which of the simple, limited number of combos you have you should be using in the specific situation that you are in. And there's, again, so many characters and so many different weapons for the characters that there's quite a lot there to learn, in fact. And each character has their own special mechanic, they have their own special power that you have to learn if you want to play with them well, and as far as completing every level, there are challenges the game puts forth, there's quite a lot there to keep you busy for a very long time. Now, if you played Hyrule Warriors or Hyrule Warriors Legends on Wii U and 3DS and you didn't like them, there's nothing here that's going to change your mind. It's the same game, it's just in high definition with all the content from the Legends mode. Should you buy it if you already own those? I would say yes, because again, this is all the content from the Legends version, but it's in high definition. And there was an amazing amount of content in that game, but unfortunately it was on the 3DS, and I think that the game like this, a Muso Warriors game, is really disserviced from being on the 3DS. The 3DS is a good platform, but... It's not capable of showing the real spectacle of these games. If you saw mm. this game on the Wii U versus on the 3DS, I think you would be far more impressed with the Wii U version. And what the Switch version is, is everything that was packed into that tiny 3DS version with the presentation of the Wii U version. So if you played Legends and you loved it, I think you'll love it on the Switch as well, because it just has that theatricality and that spectacle to it that adds so much more to the experience. And we've talked about Legend Mode. Legend Mode is a good story. Uh, I think Sia is actually a really interesting character, and they do a good job of exploring her, especially with the added bonus campaigns that they've added following the release of the Wii U version. But Legend Mode is just a story. You play through the levels in order, and you're done. There are heart pieces to find in each map, and gold skulltullas to find in each map. Those are very nice. Adventure mode is where the meat and potatoes of this game is at, because it gives you a map like we mentioned in the Nintendo version of Legend of Zelda, and on every square of that map is a different challenge for a different character, and if you can get an A rank on that map with that character, you unlock an item. Now, just one adventure mode map, I would think would be perfectly fair for a bonus mode in any game. It would be a very good value. I spent so much time playing that adventure mode map the first time I played Hyrule Warriors that when I found out that there was another one after it, I couldn't believe it because of how much time I had spent on that one adventure mode map. And since Legends has come out, and with all the DLC they've put in the Legends mode, there are, I think, almost a dozen of these maps. And it's just incredible how much there is in this game. I think if you love The Legend of Zelda and you love the history of it, regardless of your feelings about Musou as a genre or as even just a dumb action game that you just mash buttons to get through, I think you're going to enjoy this just as a Zelda fan. So don't dismiss it out of hand. It would be nice if there was a demo for it, although I'm not sure a demo could really capture what this game really is. Mm. Just give it a shot. I think you'll be surprised because I skipped the Wii U version after reading the reviews because I believed what I was reading about how mediocre it, the experience is. Then I played the Legends version, which I got on a whim, and I loved it. 
and the next day after playing the Legends version, I went out and got the Wii U version, and I loved it too. And the Definitive Edition came out yesterday, and I've spent pretty much all my time since yesterday playing it, and I still love it. This is a great game. If you have ever resonated with my thoughts in the past, I think you'll resonate again. Bye, Hyrule Warriors. I'm not kidding. Ready? Go! Now's the time for our Super Smash Brothers predictions. Uh, hitting Switch later this year, of course. So I am going to predict that there will be some Minecraft crossover of some variety. I can imagine someone from Nintendo appearing on the the stage in Microsoft's conference, and then they announce this level <laughs> or fighter. Maybe Steve as a fighter, uh, Alex as the the alternative skin. Um, yeah, that's my prediction. I, th- I think Minecraft is going to be a huge deal for Microsoft on the Switch. Ginny? Mine is um, that we're going to have someone from the Fire Emblem franchise as a fighter, so not just Marth and the usual suspects. We're going to have um, Azuna, so she's the dancer that's from all the promos and is one of the most popular Fire Emblem characters in the marketing for the most recent Effie game, Warriors. So I think she'll be a good way to switch up the Fire Emblem, I guess, sword user groove in the game. And my prediction, which I have to credit Tim Rogers from his Kotaku review of Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition, is his hashtag Linkle in Smash or my Switch in the Trash. That's wow. hyperbolic. I'm never throwing my Switch away. <laughs> yeah, but never. I would I would love to see some Hyrule Warriors content in Smash Brothers. Linkle as a playable character would be incredible. I think uh, having this female version of Link, even though that's really not what she is, but let's not get into that right now. But just giving (laughs) that kind of character the profile of being featured in a Smash Brothers game, that would be amazing. Like, like Ness appearing in the original Smash Brothers, it would be the equivalent of that. It would really give this relatively obscure character some heightened profile and make people investigate what this character came from. What is going on here? I'd love to see that. Agreed. So guys, what are we playing in this coming week? I'll be playing Banner Saga and Hyrule Warriors, so the two games that I guess I gushed the most about today. I'm going to be playing uh, more Death Road to Canada, uh, more Banner Saga and more Hyrule Warriors. Uh, I don't think there'll be any surprises, but we'll see what the rest of May brings. I wanted to start Banner Saga this week, but I didn't have time uh, in the midweek when it came out to play it. Uh, so I'll be playing that, and also Runner 3 is out on Tuesday, and after playing the minecart levels in Donkey Kong Country, I'm really excited to play Runner 3. So we'll check that out. <laughs> mm. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed our banter, please leave us a review on iTunes, because it really helps to get us noticed. Um, you can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and a variety of other podcast services. We're all out there. And be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. And we'll leave a link for you guys in the show notes if you've never seen it on Twitter before. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and also keep up with switchfocuspodcast.com for updates about the show and about us, as well as news and other content. If you want to support the show, you can also buy us a coffee, and we'll leave the details on our website for you as well. 
Thanks so much. And um, last but not least, you can also follow us individually. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. Andrew is at Play Critically. And he also streams at twitch.tv slash playcritically a lot of the time, the games that we talk about on the show. And I'm Ginny at Ginny Woes. Sorry. Anyway.
And now, using the Song of Time, let us look back to Episode 7 of Switch Focus Podcast, released October 23rd, 2017. Moving on to listener questions, we've got one here from Craigie Craig, who asks, If Nintendo puts more Wii U titles, what would be the number one on your wish list? Hyrule Warriors Complete Edition. Like, uh, not just Hyrule Warriors. I want all the content that they've added in the Legends version of the game on the 3DS, because it always bummed me out that the Legends version has all the content on the Wii U version, uh, and then some. But the yep. Wii U version actually didn't get a lot of that DLC. It got the characters, but it didn't get the new levels, which I'm not really that excited to play all the characters on old levels. It's mm. the same problem I had with Fire Emblem Warriors, where there's nothing new to do after you've beaten the game. I want mm. new stuff to do. So I, I want Hyrule Warriors, but I want the complete edition. So just a, a, a full HD rendering of the 3DS version of the game would be awesome. <laughs> 